Amen. Thank you, Linda, for helping us to worship in that way. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. We're in the midst of a sermon series on the book of Acts. And uh, last or two weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 1 and we saw Christ commission his church. Our church was commissioned by the risen Christ. And last week in Acts chapter 2, we saw that the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit to advance the kingdom of God in the world. And now we come to Acts uh, chapters 3 through 6. And what we find here, many commentators point out, I know the men are starting their study this Wednesday night and you're using John Stott. John Stott's one of those commentators who points out that in Acts chapters 3 through 6 that we see three threats to the church. Three threats to the growth of the church and the advancement of God's kingdom. And I just preached Acts 2 last week. We're going to Acts 6 this week because I want to talk today about the third of those threats. Because I fear that we have fallen prey to this thing here in our church. And so I want to move it up so that we can go ahead and address it. I'll get back to Acts 3 and 4. We'll look at that. We'll look at Acts 5. But today we're going to focus on Acts 6. If you're curious about those threats to the church in Acts uh, 3 and 4, there is persecution. Okay, persecution from outside the church threatens the growth of the church. And in Acts chapter 5, we're going to see corruption from within the church threatening the growth of the church. But what we're going to focus on today is Acts chapter 6, where it's not persecution from without or corruption from within, but the problem is distraction. And we're moving this sermon up this week because as a church, I am convinced that we have become distracted from the mission that God has for us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look first and see how the early church was distracted or how they were tempted to be distracted from their purpose. Let's look at at their distraction that they dealt with. Then second, let's look at their solution for the distraction. And then third, let's talk about how we apply that solution in our context, okay? Let's do that together. From Acts chapter 6, I want to read verses 1 through 7, and then we'll talk about those three things. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, hear now God's word. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distraction of food. So the twelve gathered together all the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parbanus. Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
you know our situation better than we do. I thank you that your word is so applicable to where we live and move and have our being. I pray that you would help us to see the distraction that can take place in the church. And I pray that you would help us to see a solution to that problem in your word. And I pray that you would be at work in our hearts. That you would enable us by your spirit to stay focused on the things that you have for us. And I pray that you would help us to be the church that you would have us to be. And Father, I ask that you would be willing to do all that during this time, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, first, let's look at how they were distracted. Okay, how were they distracted? Let's see what's going on in the text, and then we'll begin to make application to our situation. Okay, it doesn't take long. All right, look at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. That's about as far as you got to go, right? Has anybody noticed it's harder to find a seat in here? I mean, there are people sitting on the front row, for goodness sake. That never happens unless you can't find a seat someplace else. Two weeks ago, we had the luncheon uh, when Lisa and I came back and we're sharing about our trip. We didn't have enough tables for everybody to sit at. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. We are so excited about what God is doing in this place. And we're excited about to see the number of disciples, which we define as followers of Jesus. We're excited to see that the number of disciples are increasing in this place. Guess what else increases when the number of disciples increases? The Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. The number of people go up. The number of complaints go up. All right? And they have here too. And we provided pew pads where you could write them all down and turn them into me. And I could read them this week. And that's good. Listen, I want to know what's going on. I want to know how we can get better. I want to get better. Okay? I want to do that. But first of all, let's just not be surprised that if the number of people increase, the number of complaints increase. All right? That, that's right here in the Word. Verse 1. Okay? So let's not be surprised by that. It's okay. Let's embrace that. These are opportunities for us to get better. All right? And what I'm seeing are, are teeny tiny problems that are not hard to fix. It's just going to take some time. But I see really big opportunities that we have as a church. And what this whole text is about is not letting those tiny problems distract us from the big opportunities that God has for us. How's the temperature in here? Y'all okay? One of the things on the pew pad was I don't like where the thermostat is set. All right? Hey, listen, let me tell you about that. We actually had a memo go out amongst our officers that it is set at a different place than where it has been. And we're going to keep experimenting with that. We're going to keep getting better at it. And as soon as we get it going right, the weather's going to change and it'll be off again. All right? But I got I to tell you. There are five people who live at my house, and we can't agree on what to put the thermostat on, okay? So when you put 155 people in here, we're not all going to agree on that, all right? Bring a sweater, use your order of worship as a fan, whatever it is, if it needs to be hotter or cooler. Let's not let tiny things distract us from the bigger things that God has for us. Look, it keeps going. Watch what happens. 
The, the disciples are increasing. The, compla- the Grecian Jews among them are complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Let's talk about that. All right. These Grecian Jews, these are people who are Jewish. They're descended from Abraham. But if you know your Old Testament, remember the Assyrians and the Babylonians came in at about 700 BC, about 500 BC, and they conquered Jerusalem and they would take people away into exile. So these are Jewish people who have been taken away into exile like 500 or 700 years ago, and they lived in those places. And so they learned to speak Greek, which was the language of the day. And they learned the customs of where they were, but they were still Jewish. And they've come back to Jerusalem now, and they're, and they're a part of the early church. Then you've got these Hebraic Jews. They spoke Aramaic, which is a form of Hebrew. And their families have been in Jerusalem this whole time. They've kept Judaism pure. They've kept it from being infiltrated by the ways of the Greek world out there. And now these Grecian Jews are coming in, all of them Jewish, all of them descended from Abraham. All of them Christians now at this point have embraced Jesus as the Messiah. All of them filled by the Holy Spirit. Go back and look at Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. They're speaking in different languages because the people spoke different languages, right? Filled by the Holy Spirit. But they're at odds with one another over this issue. Now, notice, it's over a very practical issue. It's not a theological issue that they're disagreeing about. As good Jewish people, they would all say, hey, the law commands us to take care of widows. And that was very important in Judaism. And so this is not a theological dispute. By the way, that's still important in the New Testament. Read 1 Timothy chapter 5. Almost the first 16 verses is devoted to the church caring for widows. It's an important thing. But the dispute is not even a theological one. It's a logistical one. A processes one. Like the, the thermostat. <laughs> like, how are we going to have different processes work? And are they working well? If you've been here any at all, you know, hey, that's right where we are. That is right where we struggle. Most of the disputes we have are are not even theological. They're logistical. Hey, can we please have a calendar that everybody can see but only a few people can add things to? Can we have a church directory so that we can get to know one another? All good things that I'm for. Hey, we're working on them, right? Pew pads are a step in the direction. You can at least see who's on the pew with you and know what their names and put a face with the name. Let's start there, okay? But we're working on these processes. But a lot of the things that are distracting us from the mission are not theological kinds of things. Let's go a little further. Politics. Ooh, I'm mad at so-and-so because of what they put on Facebook or what they said. Hey, listen. I know everything's theological at some level, but check your heart. How much of that is practical who I voted for and what I think the government ought to do? And what's a disagreement about government? What's a disagreement about theological things? Let's try to get to that kind of level with one another. And so we see here that these folks are probably worshiping separately. 
In Jerusalem, if you read the history, they even had separate synagogues for Hebraic Jews and for the Grecian Jews because the Grecian Jews didn't speak Hebrew, and so it would be hard to receive instruction in a language that's not yours. So they were already worshiping separately. Persecution has started in the early church. There are at least 3,000 believers. They're probably not meeting in the temple courts anymore because of the persecution. So where are these 3,000 people meeting? In homes. Acts 2, 42 and following. Read about that, okay? And so there are these, all these groups of 3,000 believers that are meeting different places around the city, and they're not getting the food around everybody like they should. Imagine finding 3,000 people in the city of Florence every day to be sure you got this food to them that they needed to get. Whew, it's a logistical nightmare, right? No wonder there was a problem here. All right, so that's what's going on with this daily distribution of food and this complaint. And I just got to tell you, I want to confess that my reaction as a leader typically is, well, if the widows aren't getting fed, they're going to get fed today because I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to get it done. If we don't have a directory, we're going to have one tomorrow. There ought to be a way we can all have a calendar. We can see I'm going to fix that. That is not what they do here. That is not what happens. Uh oh, I know. I must be doing. My instincts are wrong. They're not right. This became really clear to me. Before I look at their solution, I want to tell you a story about things here at our church. About a year ago. After a session meeting, Michael Cody, who gave me permission to tell the story, I talked to him on the phone this week, so I don't tell things on you without asking you first, okay? But Michael Cody, after a marathon-length session meeting, said, uh, hey, you know, maybe we ought to start having two meetings a month. Maybe we ought to have one meeting where we handle all this business, logistical stuff that's coming up that we're dealing with as a church, And then have a separate meeting that we just pray for people and go through the membership of the church and talk about where people are and how we can help them grow more. Because, you know, we used to do that a lot more when I first became an elder. And we're not doing that as much anymore because we're handling all this business. So maybe we need to have two meetings, one for business stuff and and one just to pray and to talk about where people are and to pray for the flock and how we can help them better. I thought to myself... That's a pretty good idea. Guys hate how long the meeting is, right? They want it shorter. I'm sure they'll be thrilled to have two meetings a month, right? But at least they're shorter meetings. And then it occurred to me, no, 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 no. That's not right. The biblical pattern that we're going to see is that there's one group of people who just praise and ministers to the word of people, and that's all they do. They are focused on that. And what we've started doing as a leadership is we have gotten distracted by these things that are important, maybe even things commanded in God's word, like taking care of widows, But it has distracted us from prayer and the ministry of the word to the flock. Which these guys say, go back and read, they said it would be wrong for us to do that. We've been wrong. Our session as a leadership has over-functioned. We've tried to do too much. And it's wrong. And we're fixing it. Let's see what the biblical solution is. 
And then let's talk about how to fix it here. How did they fix it? What was the solution? Notice, oh my goodness, they, notice what they don't do. They don't look at who to blame, right? That's what we want to do is let's form an investigation committee and figure out where this went wrong so that we can heap shame and guilt on those people who did it, all right? We did it. The leadership did it. You don't have to have an investigation. We've been distracted by good things, taking us away from those important things, and we've been wrong, okay? They don't really look for where to assign blame, it seems to me, as we look here. They don't throw the complainers out, if you've got an opinion about the thermostat, put it down there, okay? They don't say these are not real issues. I want to know what's going on. I want to know how we can do things better. I want to know what will help you to worship better in this place. I want to know those things. They don't say, they don't just ignore the complaints. They don't throw the complainers out. They don't look for who to blame. They don't say that physical needs are not as important as spiritual needs. Right? They don't say, well, y'all just need to get over being hungry because we're going to focus on the Lord. No, they said the physical is, is, is important. They didn't say that the logistical was not important and the spiritual was. They said it would be wrong to be distracted from the spiritual to do these logistical things. But they did not say that the processes, that the logistics were not important. So what do they say? Look at verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together. Stop. <laughs> all the followers of Jesus were gathering you together. Okay, listen to me. You, biblically, are a part of the solution. Do you hear me? Biblically, you are part of the solution, and we're going to need your help. We'll see what that looks like. Let's keep going, okay? All the disciples are together. What, what do they say to do? Verse 2. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. I want to talk about that word wait on. Your translation may say it, for us to serve tables. You know what the word is there in the Greek? Diakonos. It would be wrong for us to stop this ministry to deacon tables. What we have here is the formation of the first diaconate. These seven men who begin to serve, they serve tables, right? Does that mean they're less than in the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. Keep reading. Stephen in the next chapter is going to give a powerful testimony about who God is and what God has done and become uh, the first martyr for the church. And it's not for serving tables. It's from ministering the word. Just because you're a servant or deacon doesn't mean that you, that, that you can't teach it doesn't mean that you don't minister the word. It doesn't mean that you don't pray. It means that there's a group of people who are dedicated to that, and, and the deacons can do those things, right? Look at Philip. He's one of the ones on the list. We're going to see him go to Samaria and be a great evangelist. We're going to see Ethiopians come to faith. In fact, all these men they select, do you want to guess if they're Hebraic Jews or Grecian Jews? you want to guess? They're Grecian Jews. They're these people who spoke a different language. All of them are Greek names. All of them, part of the solution, were the people who were complaining, right? Sometimes when you raise the complaint, you've got to be part of the solution. 
And listen, this is it's so where we are right now. Because I know there's a group of us that have been in the church and been in this denomination for a long time. And we have held to the purity of the faith. And now these Grecian Jews are coming in from the outside with all these ways from the world. And, and we're not really sure about them. We're not really sure that they're solid in the faith. Exactly what's going on right here. <laughs> i got to tell you, as we go forward in the book of Acts, do you know what's about to happen? There's going to be an explosion of Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, who become Christians, and it just blows wide open. (laughs) And you want to guess who is leading the church as the gospel expands into the Greek world? (laughs) It's these Grecian Jews. It's these people who already have experience in the world, who have already been asking the questions, how does this fit with my Jewish faith? They're asking the questions, how does this fit with my Christian faith? They speak the language of the world, and they lead the change that we're about to see happen in Acts. Listen, if you've been in this church for a long time, and you are concerned about these new folks that are coming in, they're not quite as pure, they're not quite as reformed, they're not quite as Presbyterian. Listen, I'm not saying compromise on doctrine, not one bit. There is a Sunday school class right at Foundations of the Faith, 9 o'clock. Walking through through the Bible, we're in Matthew. There's a class, come and, and, and learn. We have to maintain our orthodoxy. But listen to me. The people that will lead this church in engaging this culture are those people who have most recently come out of that culture. Who speak the language of the people because they were living there not long ago. And there is so much that we can learn as people who have been in the church for a long time from people who have not been in the church at all and people who have not been in for a long time. So let's be careful We've all got something to learn. We all have, maybe it's more doctrine. Maybe it's more about what's going on outside these walls. And what that means is that no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, if you're a member of this church, you've got something to give. We need you. You may say, I can't teach Sunday school, but I know what they talk about around the water cooler at the office. Good, we need to know. We need to help applying the truths of God's word to those things. Help us learn the language. Let's keep going. Ooh, he's fired up now, isn't he? All right, what does he say, verses 3 and 4? What's the solution? Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Okay, a few things I see here that have got to be part of the solution. Number one, a division of responsibility. There's got to be one group who prays and ministers the word. And if you're in this group, you've got to teach you got to pray. You've got to shepherd people and bring the word to bear in their lives. Okay? Then there's a second group, and that group is thinking about logistics. They're thinking about processes. They're thinking about taking up the resources, managing them well, and distributing them well. Right? And the group that teaches and ministers God's word is not involved in that. 
In fact, Acts 6 says it would be wrong for them to be distracted by that. All right? Deacons, if you keep reading, they can teach. Elders have to teach. They have to shepherd. In fact, they can't get distracted from prayer and ministry of the word. All right? I see a division of responsibility. We've got to have that as part of the solution. Second, a plurality of leadership. What's a plurality? Sounds like a lawyer word, like Robert's Rules of Order or something, right? A plurality means many, not just one. There's not just one elder. Don't forget me. There's not just one who ministers the word and prays and cares for the flock. There's a, there's a whole group of them, 12 of them here that do that, right? And then there's another group, not one person who's responsible for the logistics. There's a, there's a whole group of them. And I, and I know we don't like committees and we don't like committee meetings. But listen, Proverbs 15 and verse 22 tells us that plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. And when you have a group of people together, yes, it's slower, Yes, it takes longer to get a directory or a calendar. Yes, it takes longer to achieve the things that we want to do to finally get the thermostat set right. But when you have a variety of viewpoints, a variety of life experiences, people with different strengths and different weaknesses, different blinds, it keeps us from being unbalanced and we make better decisions. It's slower. It's less efficient. But it's biblical. And that's what we're moving toward. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to achieve in this place. A plurality of leadership. Third thing. There are at least two qualifications. Now there are more in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. I'm not preaching those texts. today. I'll do good to preach this one. But notice there are at least two qualifications here. You see it in verse 3? Choose seven men from among you who are, what? Known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Let's talk about those two things. First, they've got to be full of wisdom. That means that that logistical, those processes, they've got to have an aptitude for that. Right? This word wisdom, it means that they're supposed to have good discernment, good judgment, good insight. My mama used to say, does he have good sense, right? As opposed to not sense enough to get in out of the rain, right? Maybe your mom said that. But, but that's what it means. Yeah, there's supposed to be a wisdom. There's supposed to be an aptitude that these guys have. But that's not what's listed first. Do you notice what comes first? Yeah, full of wisdom. But first, full of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yes. Because we learned last week, John 15, 5, we can't do anything without him. So if these guys are going to accomplish anything of lasting value, they've got to be full of the Spirit. I'm going to go further. I would argue this is the vital qualification for all who are in church leadership. Leaders need to be so full of God's Spirit so that really on some level, it's not so much that they are leading us is it is the Holy Spirit leading us through them. That's where we want to get as a church. People who are so full of God because they've spent time in his word and in prayer and they've thought about these things that it's overflowing out of them and affecting everything 
that they do. Notice what some of the qualifications are not. We often think the people I want in charge are people who have money. (laughs) And if they've been successful in their job or at work, hey, that might show they've got some good wisdom, that they have an aptitude for things. That is not a measure for full of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of times we think if we get those folks in charge, then then if we run short, then they can kind of pony up some because it's sort of like being on a board. (laughs) Listen, it is not like being on a board. That is, that is not what we're looking at here, right? We're not looking for the most successful, the most popular, the most pretty. We're not even looking for people who've had experience as an officer. As I talked to people this week about this job, I had people say, well, I thought you had to be a deacon before you could be an elder. And if you do really well at a deacon, then it's like a promotion and you step up. <laughs> Negative. No. If you heard me say that, that is not the way that it is. Okay? They are two separate, remember, division of responsibility. It is two different jobs. One no higher than the other. They say that both the spiritual and the physical are important. There are people who have an aptitude to do both of those things. And, and, and praise God, we've got some of them. Thank you, Lord, that we do. But, but it's just two different jobs. Some people are more cut out to be one, and some people are more than the other. Even if you can do both, here, from now on, you are only going to do one, Right? There's at least a people, group of people who are focused on prayer and the ministry of the word. Deacons can teach. Deacons can do things in, in addition to their other responsibilities. Elders have to and not be distracted from that. Then there are some people who say the elders have a great job because they just sit around and don't have to do anything except make rules, and then that's all they do. Listen, let me tell you about elders. If we're doing our job as prayer warriors in ministry of the word, then we get involved in people's lives. And it's not pretty sometimes. And we walk with people through difficult things. And just because you don't see the elder doing his job like you may see a deacon doing his job because it's more physical, visible, logistical processes, that doesn't mean that he's not working. Okay. In fact, if the elders, if we do our job well, you shouldn't know what's going on in people's lives, Matthew 18, because we're going to keep those circles tight. All right? So don't assume if somebody's an elder, they're not doing anything. All right? Yeah, it is fair to say, okay, they're not teaching, they're not leading a, a community group. I mean, yeah, let's talk. Remember, I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> but don't assume that they're not doing anything because you don't see it. Okay? All right, how can we adopt this solution in our context? Number one, we've got to have a better division of responsibility. As you well know, our deacons are on sabbatical for this year, and so our elders have been doing everything. That seems like a step in the wrong direction. Yes, it is. We consolidated everything that was going on while I was gone. We've had an officer reconstruction team working and analyzing how we can better put in place what the right thing with a goal for January 1st. I have asked our current elders and their wives 
to pray about whether God is leading them to be an elder or a deacon or not an officer in our church at all. I've also texted them directly, the officer and his wife, and said, I've been thinking about praying. Here's kind of what I think that you ought to do. Now listen, I'm not looking to get my way. I don't make the decision, but I want to force us to think about it. I figure if I text him and his wife, I want to at least hope they'll pray about it. And you could be praying for us as we talk about it tonight in a session meeting right after our prayer meeting. And we might need an hour of prayer before that meeting. So I'm glad that we have it. We've got to have a better division of responsibility. And I think what we're going to end up seeing is three or four people who are on the session will stay on the session. And then three or four people will move from our session to our diaconate to form a strong core of leadership in that place. Because we do have men that can do both of those jobs. Listen to me. That is not a demotion. Okay? That's a man who has gifts that can do both of those jobs well, and we're asking him to move and to lead another group that we desperately need in this place so that the elders aren't wrong anymore and being distracted by what the Bible calls us to do. So if somebody moves from being an elder to a deacon, that is not a demotion. It doesn't mean that we're not doing a good job. It means that they're gifted enough that they can do both, and they're willing to serve in another place. I told you biblically you're a part Whatever we come up with in our meeting, it is not to be decided by the elders. The congregation will have to approve who moves to the diaconate because you elected them as elders. You didn't elect them as deacons. You will have to approve that and speak into that. If I split, if we split our current session, then that means we're going to need more men to serve as elders and deacons. We're going to need at least two or three more elders, at least two or three more deacons. And so that's, again, where you come in. Got a brown box. If you're listening on the Internet, I am literally pulling out a brown box. It says officer nomination ballots. And the way this works is there are white sheets of paper that are nomination ballots. They're half of an 8.5 by 11. I'm not good at math. Somebody tell your neighbor what half of 8.5 by 11 is. But Half of them, uh, half sheets are white. That's the nomination form. And blue sheets set out this difference between elders and deacons and talk about what the different offices are. And part of biblically, your being part of the solution is nominating men for these offices. We need you to do that. We need you to speak. Biblically, that is part of the process. Don't have only officers nominate more officers, okay? Let's let's not do that, all right? Here's what it says. It says, I have read the blue handout describing the different offices. I believe this man possesses qualities required by God to serve in this office, and you check that box. I've prayed about the nomination. let's, Let's stop doing this at the last day at the 11th hour and just shoving things in the box without praying about it and thinking about it, okay? I've had the following conversation with the nominee. And listen, if you haven't had the conversation with him, then don't check the box. And we'll have the, we just want to know where the guy is. Has anybody said I'm going to nominate you or do they not even know it's going to come out of the blue for him? All right. 
So if you don't talk to them, don't check the box, but indicate what kind of a conversation. And this is sort of an indication of conversations you may have. I'm considering nominating you because for this office. Here are the gifts that I see in you that lead me to consider the nomination, right? Because sometimes people, guys don't want to serve, but if they see other people see these things in them, then they're more willing to do so. Are you willing to prayerfully consider serving our church? If they've been asked, maybe they haven't been, and it's okay if they haven't. I'm just saying, here's some guidelines. Then it says, having followed the procedure, I nominate this person for this office, either elder or deacon, ever dear presbyterian, and then a signature. And people say, well, why do I have to sign this? Right? Okay, this is not a secret ballot process, all right? And the only people who can nominate officers, those who will either be spiritually leading them or those who will be doing the logistics and the processes, only members of the church can nominate people for these offices, for these leaders who are going to be in leadership. And if I don't have a name here, I don't know if you're a member of the church or not. If you're not a member, there's a new members class coming up September 20th and 21st, and I'd love to have you come. And then you can speak into this process. But that's why you have to attach your name to what you're doing. These will be down here at the front. You know, it's great when sermon applications, it's like, bam, there it is right there. It's visible. I can tell if we're applying the sermon or not, right? Just a, a couple of words about the future, and I'll stop. First, I want you to know this is not just for officers, okay? God calls all his people, men and women, in the church to serve. And he calls different people to different ministries, and the Holy Spirit gives them different gifts. And to the extent that Christians, members of the body, are not using their gifts, the church is impoverished, We need you to pray about what God would have you to do if you're a member of this church. We need you to be thinking about that. We're going to help you think about what you are cut out to do. We're bringing back that old Discovering Our Design class. There will be opportunities for you to find out what God may be calling you to do. Be patient as we get the officers sorted out first. It's going to take some time for this to get all the way through the laity, but that is our goal. Now, I don't know if you knew this. But I actually think about what I, I'm going to say before I come in and I write it down. And I practice it in front of the mirror. And that's where the sermon originally ended, right there. Here's the application. Y'all do it, right? Can anybody hear that there's something missing from this message? Come on. Jesus, the gospel, thank you. Yeah, that's right. You see, sometimes we can point to God's word and we can say what God's word says, but we haven't talked about the good news of the gospel. We haven't gotten to Jesus. And as I'm looking at the sermon, I'm like, oh, you haven't said anything about Jesus. You haven't gotten to the gospel at all. Listen, I want to talk about the future as we think about that. I want to talk about our motivation for why we're doing what we want to do. Yes, we want to be more efficient. Yes, we want a better organization. Yes, we want to be good stewards of the resources that we have in this place. But our chief goal is not to build a better mousetrap. There are a lot of people who are not Christians who build really good organizations that have great logistics and great processes. All right? The difference is our motivation. For us, this is a gospel issue because the heart of what it means to follow Jesus 
means that if he is inside of me, he's growing me, then there's going to be this overflow into those around me. That I'm going to be the literal hands and feet of Jesus. There are a lot of places you can go to look at it. If you want to look at it, Romans 12, verses 1 through, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the different members of the body and how they serve. Ephesians uh, 2, verses 8 through 10, that we're not saved by our good works, but we're certainly saved for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And we want to be thinking about what those are. And so, listen, let me tell you my vision. You probably should have started here, Scott. I know, I'm sorry. I'm detail-oriented and I'm more logistical. And I'm working up to the vision. And here's what I see. If this happened, what could it look like? How about this? How about a group of people whose lives have been so changed by the good news of the gospel? A group of people whose hearts are so moved by the fact that Jesus left the comfort of heaven where he was worshipped and adored to come here not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That because I'm a, I'm a follower of his, because I belong to him, because he, the spirit of that one, is inside of me. That there's a group of people who are so captured by that good news of the gospel, so full of the spirit, that we cannot help but move out from our comfort zones because we follow a Savior who left the comfort of heaven. Who move into this place not to be served. Although I hope that you are served if you're here. I hope that you get things and you're fed. But that your primary motive is not to be served. But to serve other people. And to give your life in service of the king who gave his life for you. And that this would become a place that we do that. Because we want to see other people get adopted into the family of God. I want processes to run well because I want other people to be in the kingdom of heaven. Because what I've got is so good, I want other people to have what I've got. And that means I'm willing to get up a little earlier on Sunday morning. It means I'm getting, willing to do a little bit more to see that that happens. Oh, what if there was a group of people like that? What if, dreaming here, what if there was a church that was good at spiritual things? There was Depth. They really knew Jesus and were walking with him, and they were spiritual. But they also took care of people's physical needs. And they cared about widows and orphans. And they spoke the language of the community around them. And people who didn't even go to church felt welcome when they came into their midst. Oh my, what if we were a word and deed church? What if we cared about the spiritual and the physical? What would happen in this place if we begin to speak the truth in love, if we had that combination of grace and truth in our spiritual and in our physical lives? What if God did that here? I can tell you what happened in Jerusalem when it happened. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. Listen, <laughs> the word of God does not spread if we're distracted from prayer and ministry of the word. What happened here after they did this solution? The word of God spread and the number of disciples, those following Jesus in Jerusalem, increased rapidly. Huh. Let's pray and ask God to do that here.
that, that he would be willing that we would dare to pray that we want the word of God to spread the truth of the gospel, those things that are true, but also that the number of followers of Jesus in our city would increase rapidly. This is the pattern for how it happens. May it be so in this place. Let's pray and ask God to do it. Oh, Father, these things are beyond us. We will mess this up. We spill things all over ourselves. Our hope is not in our faithfulness. Our hope is in your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. It is so applicable to where we live and move and have our being. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you that even though we may be surprised by the state of the church, you're not surprised. Thank you that you're not surprised. Thank you that you give us solutions. Father, I pray that you would raise up men who have a heart for prayer and have a heart for your word and have a heart for your people so that they spend time on their knees in prayer and then spend time feeding the flock the word. Father, I pray for a group of men who care about the processes and have that wisdom that it takes to make them work well but that are also full of the Spirit and do so from a motivation of longing to see, that serve out of the motivation because they follow a Jesus who came to be served. It's hard to believe that these things could be true in one place. But Father, with you, all things are possible. And we boldly ask that you would come here to this place, this little town, this little church, and you'd be willing to do those things here. In a way that changes us. In a way that changes the world around us. Father, please come and do that. For your glory and for the good of your kingdom. For the growth of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.